I just want to do God's will. The kind of revolution that the world needs is a Christian revolution. If you want a miracle, you've got to expect it to happen. You are the recipients of God's grace and God's blessings, and you rejoice in that reality. Welcome to Life Today Live. Good to have you here today. You know, Jesus warned his disciples that they would be scattered and that they would have trouble in the world, but he said, take heart, I've overcome the world. And you know, I don't know anybody that gets through life without having some trouble, without having some adversity, uh, some uncertainty, um, some heartache. But can we thrive inwardly? Uh, Can we still have peace and purpose and joy. I mean, that's what the Bible says. How do we get there? How does that look like? I think hearing other people's stories can be very encouraging, uh, even even the hard ones sometimes. But, you know, we can find some hope in others. We can testify to what God's done in our lives, and we're going to do some of that today. So I'm glad you're here with us. There's a book out by today's guest. It is called Your Longing Has a Name, and it's written by Dominic Doan. And uh, Dominic joins me to tell a little bit of his story and just testify to what God's done in his life to let you know he wants to do it in your life, too. Dominic, welcome to Life Today Live. Good to have you today. Thank you. So good to be here with you. So give us a little bit of a background on, you know, somebody writes a book. You want to know why? Why did you do this? What's behind it? Uh, and, And before we dive into some of the details, give us a little bit of just an overview of where this came from. Sure. Yeah. My wife and I, we presently live in Colorado. We're overseeing a ministry called Pursuing Faith. And this ministry and this chapter in our life and this book as well was really born out of a time of how do we help people who are in the midst of going through hard times to find a faith that is flourishing and robust and and that continues to grow amidst the hard times. So you you mentioned in the intro that even in the hard times, our faith can flourish. My uh, mind raced to that uh, poem by Cahil Gibran. He was a Lebanese poet years ago. And he said that doubt is a pain too lonely to know that faith is its twin brother. And that's the beauty of scripture is that we do see this juxtaposition where yes, any who follow Christ, they're gonna go through hard times. It rains on the just and the unjust. But then also in the midst of that, Jesus promises the abundant life. Mm. He, he says that if we put our trust in him out of our innermost being, we'll gush forth torrents of living water. So we see this tension in a sense where there's the promise, there's going to be hard times. But in the midst of the hard times, as Paul said, there is a fellowship of suffering. Now, is this uh, just a, a good study that you've done on Scripture? Just something you've had to live. (laughs) Yeah, I I would say living then drives you to scripture (laughs) to begin to to seek out the answer. Um, And and you realize when you study scripture that so many people, the authors of scripture, went through difficult times, hard times, and even struggled in seasons of doubt. Um, The philosopher Michael Novak, he said that doubt is not so much a dividing line that separates people into different camps as it is a razor's edge which runs through every soul. And doubt can be part of the complicated, enigmatic mess of what it means to be human. And in the midst of our own hard times, I went back to the book of Psalms and I 
realized there that here is a guy who went through difficult times and hardship and pain, and yet in the midst of that encountered the presence of God. And it's not just David. You could talk about Moses or Abraham or the Apostle Paul or Jesus weeping in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, the Bible bleeds with stories of women and men who went through seasons of doubt, and yet in the midst of that found the presence of God. Yeah. Are you still... Uh professoring at uh, George Fox University? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I was a professor there for a few years when we lived in the Portland area. Okay. And now I just do things. Uh, I'll come so, in every now and then, teach a class. We were just out there last month and, and did an apologetics conference. Okay. So I, I asked that because, um, you know, as a professor of applied theology, I, I'm guessing mm-hmm. that you've, through experience and through study, have, have developed what I guess you could call a, a theology of suffering. Mm. Um, what, what do you, what do you do with, with all the, the pain, the, whether it's your own experiences of loss and uncertainty, uh, mm-hmm. or just, you know, in, in sort of a, you know, mm. more, more practical way of looking at it from scripture. Um, what do, what do you, what, what is the suffering about? Yeah. I mean, you just touched on something that is, I think the pivotal question um, I, I think it's the thing that can cause people to lose their faith. Sure. Um, it is the question behind, I would argue, not just behind our faith, but behind any faith. And even the atheist has to wrestle with the question, why is there evil and suffering in the world? Mm. Uh, the way the atheist would approach it, however, would be, well, there is no such thing as ultimate justice, right? There is no such thing as ultimate purpose. And so what you have in a world without God is you still have the pain and the suffering, uh, but you don't have any hope. And this is one thing that Christianity does offer us, that Jesus offers us, is that even though the world is broken, even though we go through hard times, uh, there is hope that what has been shattered will someday be put back together. Uh, Dostoevsky and the brothers Karamazov, he actually talks about this. And um, if, if you've ever read that book, you know that he deals with some of the hardest questions mm. and he, some of the things he brings to the surface in this fictitious narrative between uh, two friends as they begin to dialogue and talk about why is there suffering and pain. And the ultimate conclusion that Dostoevsky comes to is, look, there's a great mystery here when it comes to the pain and travail of the world, but there's also a great deal of hope. And he says at one point, I believe as a little child <laughs> that there will ultimately be redemption. And, and like Paul said, right now we see through a glass dimly, but someday we will see face to face. So this is the question, I think, behind all theological questions, behind all philosophical questions, and I would argue behind even doubt itself. Can we can we be comfortable truly in the not knowing, uh, in in the wonder? And I mean, should we learn to live with the mysteries of God in a sense? Mm, yeah, I <laughs> I love that. I I I believe that there is an intimacy that is found in the midst of mystery. Um, so I think of you know my wife Elisa. We've been married now for twenty two years, and. There's a lot I know about her. She's a morning person. She loves to cook. Uh, she used to be a, a cat person, and then we got she turned from the dark side, and we got a golden doodle. <laughs> um, I know her style of music. I know her interests, her passions. There's a lot I know about her, 
And yet one of the things you discover in any relationship is that as time goes by, you also discover new things. You, I, I see her react to a situation in a way that catches me off guard or surprises me, or I see how she handles, na uh, navigates grief or heartache as she went through the last couple of years. And I, I see things come out of her personality and I realize like, oh, I didn't know this about you. And I would argue actually that the not knowing is a beautiful thing. It's the quest, it's the discovery that brings about life and love. Uh, it's the pursuit of love that leads to the discovery of love. You know, as C.S. Lewis talked about, you know, I now know, Lord, why you uttered no answer. You are yourself the answer. Mm -hmm. And in the midst of the mystery, we discover, oh, there can be tremendous intimacy and closeness here. Because if I literally knew everything about my wife, every thought, every placement of every atom, <laughs> if I knew exactly where she was at any given moment, uh, not only would that be kind of strange, but it would hinder the progression of love because it's the pursuit of love that keeps the relationship alive. It's the discovery of new things that, that keep keeps a sense of wonder. And, and I wonder if in our relationship with God, it's the same way, that there is still mystery, there are still questions that are aching to be asked, and, and God kind of rigs the world in such a way. I would argue even back in Genesis, God rigs the world in such a way where he wants us to be curious. He wants us to ask questions. There is a certain degree of mystery because in the midst of mystery, there is relationship, there's intimacy and trust. Yeah, and yeah, and that's that's where, I'm, you know, 32 years for my wife and I, uh, mm. and I still, some days I'm like, I don't know this person, <laughs> you know, but that's okay, <laughs> it's okay. I mean, it just means opportunity, but you know, we've all heard other people complain, you know, well, he or she is not the person I married. And I'm thinking, well, I hope not, because we change, yeah. we should change. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that's right. the idea of marriage is growing together you're both going to grow up you're both going to change but do it together and i think there's yeah. a lot of that with god and i think that's why sometimes i can read a passage that i heard as a kid over and over now as an adult and it has a, a different depth a different meaning to it because of the, mm -hmm. the dynamics not of god changing but of of me changing me on this journey in life uh and and simply because the scripture is just layer and layer and layer and deep and deep and deep and I don't think we ever get to the end of it, which gives me hope because there's always life there. It's like I can drink from that pool all my life and it's never going to run dry. Absolutely. I, you know, I was reading earlier today, uh, Einstein, he once famously said that the most beautiful thing we can experience in life is the mysterious. He, he said it is the source of all art and science. Mm -hmm. And he to whom the emotion is a stranger who can no longer pause to wander and stand wrapped in awe is as good as dead, he mm. said. Um, but then he wrote, this insight into the mystery of life is at the center of true religiousness. And he's writing from an interesting perspective, as you know, philosophically and theologically. But I think he's onto something, that there is beauty in the midst of mystery. And what if God in the midst of hard times is actually causing us to learn to trust. You remember that story in, in the Gospel of John where Jesus was washing his disciples' feet and he comes to Peter and Peter immediately, you know, his reflexes pull his feet out of the basin and, you know, don't, don't wash my feet, you know. Mm. And he had all these questions about that. And then Jesus said, what I'm doing now, you do not understand, but you will understand someday. Yeah. 
And that line really strikes me because there are seasons in life where our feet are in the base, basin, so to speak, and we don't know what Jesus is doing. We don't know why he's allowing the grief or the loss or the heartache or the unemployment or the uncertainty or doubt. We, we don't know what he's up to. But there are times when Jesus is saying, look, you may not get it now. You may not understand now, but someday you will. And it's in those seasons we have to learn the art of keeping our feet in the basin, <laughs> of learning the art of saying, okay, Lord, I'm gonna choose to trust you, even though this is uncomfortable and I don't get it, I'm gonna put my eyes on you anyway. And that's how our faith grows. Yeah, I think that is faith. It's it's not, it's not that it's just blindness or just, you know, belief in something that there's no evidence. It's just going, okay, even though I don't understand, you know, like, like a young child, I'm gonna, yeah take the hand of the one who's going to lead me across the street safely, even though I can't comprehend all, all the dangers and all the things like that. By the way, um, well, here's the book again, Your Longing Has a Name uh, by Dominic Doan. And there is a distinct difference between uh, your host and guest here today, ladies and gentlemen. Dominic was reading Einstein this morning. I was reading The Far Side. So <laughs> I love get, the far side. <laughs> okay, so at least there's some appreciation of that. <laughs> you actually don't meet too many people who love it, but I, I think it's brilliant. I still, That's amazing. Oh, Gary Larson's. Yeah. He's, okay. So, yeah. Uh, I'm glad you can appreciate it. <laughs> uh, okay. Before this goes off the rails completely, uh, there's, there's a word you use that, I mean, I think most people have heard, but it's the way you unpack it, I find is interesting. And it's this idea of flourishing. Mm. flourishing what 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 does that mean and in the context of what you're talking about what can we learn about that yeah so first of all um what we see in scripture is that god's heart for our soul is that, that we would flourish right this is why uh the most common theme or metaphor uh for our spiritual life in god is that of a tree that's vibrant and alive. You think of Psalm chapter one, where the, the roots of the tree are deep and, and it bears forth fruit in its season. And you see this theme of a flourishing tree, a tree all throughout scripture. And, and something, you know, I've been learning over the last few years is that, you know, no matter how much bad is happening in our life, if our soul is flourishing, nothing we go through can destroy us. But if our soul is crumbling, then nothing we go through can heal us. Mm. But it does raise the question, okay, what is flourishing? Because the way culture defines flourishing is achievements, material possessions, the good life, et cetera, et cetera. But when the Bible talks about flourishing, it's not talking about how much you have. Um, it's talking about the kind of person that you are. Uh, it's not about God keeping us from pain. It's about experiencing the presence of God, even in the midst of pain. And, and so biblical flourishing then is really the, the process of being shaped into the person of Jesus. I, I read one theologian a, a few months back, and he said, the goal you are meant to be aiming at once you've come to faith, anticipating the final life to come, is the life of fully formed, fully Christian character. It's being made essentially into the person of Jesus. That's the goal. And so the, the flourishing life then is the one that day by day, little by little, uh, we're becoming more like Jesus in our thoughts, our habits, our lifestyle, our relationships, in our mission and engagement with the world. <laughs> okay, you, you've been a missionary. 
I'm, I'm sure you've seen this, but I remember it, it kind of messed me up the first time I ran into some people in, you know, what we call third world, not a lot of material possessions. I mean, you know, no, they don't have any Netflix that, you know, they, they don't have any Lululemon to shop at down the street. <laughs> you know, they don't right. have, they, they don't like, they have hardly anything, but mm. then you meet some of these Christians over there and they are flourishing. Mm. And I yeah. just went, okay, this, I think my American mindset has a whole system of measurement that is probably not right. And it, you know, fortunately I was pretty young when first time I saw that, have you, have you, you've been to the mission fields. I mean, have you run into some people that have nothing from a worldly standpoint, hardly, but are flourishing? The most loving, generous, caring people I have ever met in my life uh, were those who, from a materialistic perspective, had very little. Yeah. Um, I coming out of high school years ago, I spent the first year before uh, going off to ministry and then college after that, kind of did things in reverse. But I spent a year uh, at an orphanage um, for disabled orphans and um, spent time just caring for them, loving them. And coming out of high school, you know, it was a big learning curve and mm-hmm. uh, very, very difficult at first. Um, but what I began to learn and discover with with these with these orphans is this the depth of their love for Jesus in the midst of the hard times mm. um, was profound. Uh, other places I've been to, and you've experienced this as well, the amount of generosity yeah. uh, that people have shown yeah. uh, when they have very little. I remember one time uh, deep in the jungles of Vanuatu a few years back and my wife and I were, were hiking there and take, it took three days and we're talking like machete kind of hacking your way through the jungle to where, get to some of these remote where tribes. That where is that at? Yeah. Vanuatu is in the South Pacific. Okay. Um, if you, you can get there through Fiji, it's a, like a three hour plane ride from there near the Solomon islands. Uh, it's okay. a group of about a hundred islands or so, uh, very, very primitive, some of them and uh, very remote. And there are still to my knowledge, uh, unreached people groups there. Hmm. And we, we had a chance to to go to some of these tribes and villages. And I remember one we arrived at, and you don't know when you step into these villages how they're going to react or treat you. Um, but the, the chief of the village came out and greeted us, never seen us before in his life. And within minutes, he offered us his hut um, as a place to stay and sleep that night. And mm-hmm. in that culture, that was the highest honor, to be offered the hut of the chief. <laughs> and... And so we say yes, and it's very simple, a dirt floor, you know, it's a a small hut, but of of great honor. And I remember that night, in the middle of the night, I'm going outside to go find a restroom, which was the bush, basically. And I I see the chief, his name was Chief Moley, and he was on the ground outside, uh, just kind of curled up sleeping on the dirt. Hmm. And it just hit me in that moment, like, what profound generosity. He, he meets strangers and not only gives us a place to stay and sleep, but gives us his home. I mean, could you imagine a, a stranger shows up at your house and <laughs> within minutes you're like, hey, I want you to stay at my place tonight. I'll, I'll go camp outside. Um, so some of the most generous, loving people have been those who, you know, from a Western materialistic perspective, aren't living the good flourishing life, which tells us that true flourishing is something way deeper. Boy, that's good, and and that that is so true, and and that dovetails with with uh, one of the scriptures you look at, Second uh, Peter, one mm-hmm. five through seven, where it, it, Peter's talking about 
you know, make every effort to add to your faith goodness mm-hmm. and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and self-control perseverance and perseverance godliness and godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love and i think a lot of us when we when we read that because there is effort there he says make every effort mm-hmm. to add to our faith uh, there's a responsibility to not just have well i've got my faith but there's like there's some building there mm-hmm. so i get that but i think a lot of people see that as a list of a lot of hard work that i'm going to have to do Mm-hmm. You you don't quite see it that way. Yeah. You, I, I, what I see in that list is not so much a list of descriptive virtues that we have to try and strive to obtain, mm. but rather this is an invitation through the power of the Holy Spirit to step into a life of flourishing. Ultimately, you could argue at its core, these seven things are a description of who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, here is the game changer for me, and I, and I get into this in chapter one, is that these aren't simply things where God's saying, you know, here they are, good luck, <laughs> don't, don't mess up, but rather this is how God sees us already. Uh, in, in Romans chapter eight, you have these fascinating verses where it says, you know, we are justified. We are glorified. Um, in the book of Ephesians, it says we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Um, and, and, you know, for years I thought, well, this is just something that's far off. Someday we'll be with him in heaven. But this is actually in the present tense. Oh, yeah. That the Paul is saying right now, this very moment, this is where you are. This is how God sees you. You are already flourishing. You are already the tree that's planted by the rivers of living water. And these virtues that, that he lays out for us, God sees us, sees those things in us because we are in Christ. So the flourishing life is less about me trying to strive to obtain some unattainable ideal. And it's more, oh, God, this is how you see me already. This is who I am in you. And I just want to live into that. I want to live out who you say I already am. And that's why I begin in chapter one by talking about our acceptance in Christ, that he sees us as loved. He sees us as forgiven, that our life isn't about striving for flourishing. It's about living from it because Christ in us is stronger than what's broken in us. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's so right. And I do think a lot of times we put off some things until you know eternity that god intends for us today you know i mean jesus mm-hmm. prayer thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as yeah. it is in heaven when his earth when his will is done on earth as it is in heaven the kingdom comes and in in romans paul says that the kingdom you know is righteousness peace and joy and i think that's mm-hmm. what we're designed to have now today to cultivate if you will yeah, um, like the tree and, and to grow and it takes time and that's okay. The seeds come from, you know, I think scripture, the Holy Spirit waters it and we, we can grow. And from the smallest mm. seed, it's, it's not big on our part, you know, that faith is like a, a, a mustard seed, one of the smallest seeds. But if we allow it to cultivate, it will flourish. And I, I just love this, this whole message. I, I really think this is like the essence of the Christian life in a lot of ways, you know, what you're talking about. Mm. I do have one, one more question for you, um, yeah. and that is the, uh, the the word longing that you use in the title of the book, Your Longing Has a Name. Mm-hmm. You, man, you look at the world right now, and even in the church to a degree, but especially in the world, I mean, there is there is anxiety, you know, there mm-hmm. is frustration, there is, you know, 
covetousness, you know, there's just, Mm -hmm. there's all these empty things. And it just, to me, it's screaming. People have this emptiness in them and it's expressing itself in a myriad of really painful and oftentimes destructive ways. What, what do you, I mean, do you, you, what is this longing thing? What, what Mm. is this longing? (laughs) Yeah. We all have this deep longing, uh, for God. Uh, in Ecclesiastes, it says God has placed eternity in our hearts. And it doesn't matter where we are, whether we're in the suburbs in America or the jungles of Vanuatu, mm-hmm. uh, wherever we are, this is a universal thing amongst every human. <laughs> this ache, this desire, this thirst, this quest for God. And that that actually was an amazing thing to me that we could, you know, hack our way through the jungle for days, meet Chief Mole and <laughs> others in the midst of, you know, the very remote villages, and yet discover that the longing was universal. The desire for God was universal. And this longing that we have, and C.S. Lewis talks about this as well uh, in his book, The Weight of Glory, mm. Once we begin to recognize our truest longing, that frees us from trying to find the quote-unquote flourishing of the good life. It it causes us then to pursue a life that is deep with God, a relationship with God, those things that really matter. And and all the things that culture tells us are are pertinent and, and most important. Jesus says, no, those things will leave you thirsty. But if you drink of me, the living water, you will never thirst again. So I call it your longing has a name because ultimately that name is Jesus. He's the one that we're longing for. He is the quest of every human heart. Mm. Love it. I love it. All right. I want to show people the website. I'm going to give you the last word here in a second, Dominic, but I want to show people your website real quick. This is pursuingfaith.org. Uh, you can, there's more great resources there. In fact, uh, Dominic hosts the Pursuing Faith podcast uh and so you can you can dive a little deeper get a little more encouragement uh and of course you can get the podcast wherever you a lot of the podcast places by the way but if you want to start at pursuingfaith.org good place to start but um dominic it's i love this kind of conversation um i know for some people it can feel a little uh heady you know a little almost academic but the way you put it into very practical you know terms is is very helpful but uh, at the end of the day, you you want someone to just to kind of walk away with something to chew on after watching yeah. this. What what would you leave people with? Yeah, I would say to any who may be in a season of struggle or languish or heartache or doubt, um, doubt right now is a really cultural movement where many many people are struggling to believe. Many are deconstructing their faith. Two thirds of Americans, American Christians, even say they struggle with doubt on a regular basis. And I would say to those who are in that space of doubt that actually your doubts, if you let it, can be the very thing that leads you into a deeper, more robust, beautiful relationship with God. And not to abandon your faith in the midst of hard times, but rather to see the invitation, the true longing of your heart of Jesus. Hey, what I'm doing now, you may not understand, but you will someday that in the hard times, there is deep faith to be found. You know, I've got to add one more thing because the, the whole doubting Thomas thing, you know, don't be a doubting yeah. Thomas. I actually like Thomas and his not yeah. just accepting everything on face value, but saying, you know what, I, I need, I got to see it for myself. Uh, and he wasn't, 
Uh, and he was the one who, when they thought Jesus was going to be killed, he said, let's go with him and we'll die with him. So he had a depth of faith very clearly. But when it came to these things that he just couldn't understand, he was like, you know, guys, uh, I'll believe it when I see it. And Jesus showed up for him. That's right. Yeah, it is funny that we call him Doubting Thomas. Um, we kind of slap that label on him. Uh, but it was to Thomas that Jesus said, hey, touch my wounds. And there, through the touching of the wounds of Christ, you know, he, he found a faith that, that was his own. And I think of Jacob as well in the Old Testament, who had all kinds of doubts. And he wrestled with God all night, and he walked away with a limp, um, mm -hmm. but he also walked away with a changed name. And, mm -hmm. and that's what our questions can do. If we actually wrestle with it and bring it to God, and bring it before others and are honest with the things we're struggling with, man, that act of wrestling could be one of the most profound, liberating things that will change us at the deepest level. Yeah, uh, I love that. I, yeah. <laughs> the people that don't wrestle with things concern me more than the people that do, to be honest with you. You know, right. <laughs> so, they're like, yeah, okay, I, don't, I heard that, I believe it, and I'm, I'm good with that. It's like, won't you, are you sure about that? Anyway, Dominic. We could keep going, but uh, people just have to pick up the book. Your Longing has a name, Dominic Doan, uh, or if you pick up books. And uh, wonderful conversation. I, I appreciate you. I uh, appreciate your time. And uh, I just, just, it's been good. It's been, uh, this, these are things I have to think about. And I like it when you force me to think. So mm. appreciate you. <laughs> mm. Thank you so much for the conversation. Thank you. Love it. I uh, appreciate you guys out there watching. Uh, if you haven't liked, followed, or subscribed, do that. If you want to encourage somebody else, especially someone maybe going through doubt, say it's okay. Don't condemn them. Get them close to Jesus. They'll answer their questions. Uh, so hit that share button. And if you haven't subscribed, please do that. And come back. We've got more great for you here on Life Today Live. We'll see you again next time.